Welcome to the Sunday edition of The Sleeper in the Bust. I'm Justin Mason, joined as always on Sundays by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? Uh, it's been a weekend, man. Uh, between labor on Friday night, Saturday morning, uh, and the, the first pitch uh, virtual forum. Because uh, I was supposed to be in Florida this week, recovering mm-hmm. from spring training games. And uh, yeah, that's not happening. Which is, I guess, good because my back is an absolute mess. I have like Paul Sporer back right now, and I can barely. I have to sit down or stand up. Heat, ice, alternating all weekend. Um, but other than that, I guess mostly still recovering from labor. Six hours uh, on Friday night into Saturday morning was just not what I was expecting. Not to mention an extremely tough room, probably the toughest of the eleven years between the mixed and the uh, single league formats. It was it was brutal. Yeah, I, I watched a, a fair amount over in the uh, the first pitch Florida Zoom, uh, and then uh, I couldn't hang for six hours. Um, but uh, you, you guys, uh, you guys put together a pretty good team over there. Well, you put together a pretty good team. You're rolling by yourself. Paul's rolling today or tonight in NL. So if you're uh, yeah. if you want to watch some NL auctioning, uh, that'll be going on later today for NL Labor. Um, but joining us is a fantastic guest. Uh, this is a guy that I've been seeing a lot on Twitter, given his takes, and that is Chris Torres of the Torres Takes. Chris, welcome to the show. Going on, guys. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, so I am uh, dude on Twitter, uh, at Torres Takes. Uh, been making some short videos this offseason and, and posting them on my Twitter feed. Uh, some of them have some useful information, talking about specific players or decision-making within a draft, and other videos have just been ridiculous and, and having fun. So it uh, seems like people are enjoying them, so uh, I'll continue making them. Uh, so hopefully you can check it out. Uh, but I'm just super happy to be here. You know, I, I honestly think this was the first podcast that I ever listened to, like, eight years ago. Uh, I mean, I was listening to this podcast when you guys had, like, that that funky, psychedelic music that, honestly, I think you should, you should bring back. Because, I mean, I, I like the current one just because it's you, you've had it for a while. But, I mean, we need, like, some upbeat right now. You know, the other one's, like, the one we have now is a little ominous sounding. So I miss that funky one. But uh, I was even listening. Remember when uh, Spore had – he was talking about, like, Latroy Hawkins and Tim Fedorovitz, and that was part of the intro? Oh, you guys remember that? I don't wow. remember that. That's, yeah, I mean, uh, we're talking like 2014. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, I, I wow. consider myself a sleeper in the bus OG. Uh, so this is uh, very exciting for me to be on the show. So so thank you so much for having me. Hey, if anybody, well, any listeners have musical talents and want to send in some intros, please you know, feel free to run something by us. Yeah, run it by Paul. I'm not. I'm not. That's above my pay grade. Yeah, um, so. two to one. Yeah, <laughs> it's a majority rule. So we just not vote them. That one sounds good. So anything that's biased towards Justin and Jason, you're going to get our vote. There you go. Right. Just, just you, you got to suck up a little bit. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. I do. I love the videos you're doing. Um, love the state of the baseball one, uh, fantasy baseball one you did. Uh, the other day, but I always love kind of your take on certain things because I think you uh, you have a different way of looking at things than maybe sometimes the industry does. So keep rolling those out, man. Um, and somebody hire this man. Someone someone pay him some money to do these uh, do these videos on the daily because uh, I, I could use them every day. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna talk about uh, some 
uh, some of the ADP from TGFBI. TGFBI is uh, rolling along. Some leagues have finished. My league is done. Some leagues are dragging ass and are only in like the 13th, 14th round. Uh, I think uh, someone, uh, I think Sammy Reed on Twitter was all like, oh, I see you put yourself in the fast league. I think people are afraid to like be slow when they're in my league because because I'm, I'm in the league. So we've got a guy uh, about 30 seconds, 30 minutes away from timing out in the 21st round. Okay, well you're not in the you're not in the worst. Danielle is in the slowest league possible. Uh, I think they just entered the 14th or 15th round. So, Oof. Um, yeah. So and and she she's part of the problem. She she'll, she'll say she's not, but she's probably the problem. Um, so what we're gonna do is uh, I got, I got some. Mins and some maxes that have pretty big gaps. Uh, and shout out to, I think his name is John Anderson on yeah. uh, Twitter. He's in my oh, is he? Uh, because yeah. he's been tweeting out some of these huge discrepancies, uh, which is where I got this idea from. Uh, and especially fun because I'm in a league that's had some of these uh, huge discrepancies. Uh, so it'll be interesting to talk about. Let's, uh, but before we do that, we got a little bit of news. Max Muncy says he's close to swinging a bat. So, Chris, does this make you interested in drafting Max Muncy? That makes me less interested. I mean, if we're not even at swinging a bat yet, uh, you know, I'm just I'm totally out. You know, I, I don't like taking players who have had any injury that's prevented them from having a normal offseason. I, you know, bump those players down. So, you know, given the recent news, I'm just I'm not feeling great about Muncie. Uh, and something else that I ask myself when I'm debating on on a player is whether or not this player can beat me. You know, like if everything breaks right, is this player going to be showing up on a large percentage of winning teams at the end of the year? And when I apply that to Muncie, I mean, the answer is probably not like he's a good player. But, I mean, he's not providing speed. The batting average is not a lead or anything. He, he's going to get you some good power and counting stats. But I don't think he's someone that could beat me, even if he comes back and is healthier than we think he's going to be. That's a really interesting and good way of looking at it, too. I, I like that. Uh, I tend to agree with you. I'm a big Max Muncy guy. But if he's now just starting to swing a bat or hasn't even started to swing a bat, um the chances that he was going to be ready by the original opening day and possibly the new opening day, whenever that is, is kind of slim. And, and that just because he's like almost ready to swing a bat doesn't mean like that UCL is not going to fully pop at some point once he does. So uh, as much as I love Muncie, I'm, I'm fading. And Jason, are you fading Max Munson? Uh, he's honestly on my do not draft list. He has been there all season. I just really concerns that, uh, a throw, a swing, a something could pop, and then and we're done. And while we're talking about this, about the, you know, hey, just picking up a bat, even with Muncie, because it's not on the sheet, but it's worth mentioning because I didn't listen to Friday's episode yet. If you talked about it, but Anthony Rendon says he believes he should be ready by the time mm-hmm. the lockout ends. So that's like kind of new news about him because I know people. Yeah. Have been, pushing him up a little bit, but the thing, his his exact words were, I feel like I'll be ready by the time the lockout ends. So, like, if we were in camp, everybody was there, like, we had games this weekend, he would not be in them. Uh, he would not have been in them. Uh, and so that's the that would be concerning and be pushing his value down in the other direction. I think we saw it last night in AL, I'm sorry, in the mixed labor auction 
where he went for eight dollars uh, because you know, his his price. I'm looking at my TGFBI league, um, and he went pick eighty nine. He went right in front of me. Uh, so uh, if with this news, uh, if this would have come out when on the twenty eighth, I doubt I doubt he's inside the top one hundred. So that's a bit concerning. Yeah, I um I love Anthony Rendon. Another one of these guys I've loved. I mean, I. Uh, I can't remember which year it was. Maybe it was last year. I was taking him like in the third round, feeling really damn good about it too. Uh, but I think just like Chris just said, like, is he a guy that's going to be on a bunch of winning teams, even if he's healthy? Like, what is he nowadays? Some guy who's probably mm-hmm. going to hit 280 with, you know, 30 home runs. It's kind of the ceiling. And I, I just don't know that I'm, he, he's, he's probably on my do not draft list now too. I, I didn't even see that news. That's why it's not on the rundown. Chris, what are your thoughts on Rendon? Yeah, same situation. Like you said, I, I don't think uh, I'm not scared of not having uh, Anthony Rendon. So just given the history of injuries, too, uh, I'm totally out on him. All right. Uh, same team on my TGFBI league has both Rendon and Muncie. Okay. Round six, round 11. So that, that, could, it, that could hurt. It's At least it's a fab league in which, you know, they can, uh, you know, pick someone up if these guys are both out. Yeah, but that's a that's a tough way to start. Um, uh, speaking of injuries, uh, apparently Sixto Sanchez is likely going to be out until midseason. I'm assuming you guys are probably feeling the same way in terms of not draftable. Uh, but we've been seeing him going in a bunch of draft and holds. Do we, uh, Jason? Do you think there's like uh, Sanchez is ever gonna be able to get back to health? I mean, at this point, it's like is he droppable in dynasty leagues? Yeah, this is the this is the reason why uh, when the trade happened, when the when he was traded from he's out of the Phillies organization. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was the the label on him was fragile. People were worried about his durability, and it's and it's played out. And now, when you saw the news this this offseason, uh, he also looks like he's out of shape, uh, and so he's talking about mid season. So if there's a path forward for him, maybe it's time to say relief. That's your path forward. And take him out of the rotation. So I'm not ready to cut him yet in Dynasty. Um, but he wasn't anywhere on my radar for drafting this year. I, I just don't want to take guys that are going to that we know are going to miss a good chunk of time. I'll let somebody else take that chance uh, on that. So uh, yeah, I, let's see if we can get him in the bullpen and, and help him hold up because everything that when that trade, I forgot who he was traded for. I mean, remind real, me what it's the, a real real, real Yeah, it's a real to do. Yeah, so it's just like when the trade happened, I, I don't know a Philly fan, even at the time, it was like, man, we gave up a lot because it's what's worked out and Real Muto stayed there, uh, which certainly helps. Um, but, you know, that's the, they paid a premium on paper, but it hasn't played out that way. It's been a very imbalanced real-life baseball trade. What about you, Chris? Are you uh, looking to move on in a dynasty league? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll am i be honest, I'm not really a dynasty player, so probably not the best person to ask. Just from what I know, though, given, you know, the pedigree, he, he's probably, he's still a hold at this point. But yeah, in redraft, uh, I'm not touching him. I didn't even understand why he was going as high as he was uh, during the offseason. Uh, you know, injuries are going to find you during the season. Just don't, don't go seeking them out. Uh, I've softened my stance a little bit on taking on injury risk players. Uh, like if a player has had injuries in the past, but now they're healthy, I feel like I've become a little bit more open-minded about about taking that type of player, 
but if someone is already coming in with an injury, it's just some, I, I just don't want, you know, that player on my team. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm of the thinking that, especially if we think that six those future is in the bullpen, I'm totally fine moving on. I, I try to get value obviously in a trade in a dynasty league. If I can, I, I mean, I'd probably take 10 cents on the dollar. I just, I never invest in relief pitching prospects because you never know if like the dynamite reliever prospect is actually even going to get a, a chance at a, you know, high leverage role. Um, so yeah, I'm unfortunately I would be completely out on six though. I'd be looking to, to flip that for a bat, flip him for a bat in, in a dynasty league. Uh, and obviously undraftable in any format in, uh, for redraft. All right, um, let's uh, move on and talk about these big gaps in the min-maxes in TGFBI. We're going to start with someone who is a high-variance player in the batting average department, uh, and it's usually on the low end of that variance, uh, and that's Joey Gallo, uh, whose min is 143, and max is 209. Oh, oh, we, oh, we got to update. It's now 124. Okay. Somebody okay. has jumped up and is now is now is min is 124. And yeah, 224 I, is his max. So that's we're this is real time data, folks. I feel like Steve Cornell. There you go. Like, well, we've got to pull up the marker right on the screen. Uh, and, but yeah, and there, we are now 221. Uh, we're now 124 and 224. All right. Well, that that is a huge gap uh, for a player, and I think it's understandable considering what he offers as a profile. Now, for context, TGFBI are fifteen team leagues, uh, NFBC scoring, uh, which means traditional five by five, so it is average and not on base percentage, where he gets a little bump. But Chris, what are your thoughts on Joey Gallo? Are you closer to that one twenty four or that two twenty four? Honestly, he's he isn't someone I've considered at any point in any of my DCs. Uh, you know, the point has been re- made repeatedly that you don't want to take on Gallo and his batting average in an overall contest. Uh, and I agree with that. So, again, I, he's not someone that I've been considering. But just to play devil's advocate for a moment, if Gallo had been traded to the Yankees, say, last offseason, I'm pretty sure there would have been a decent amount of hype around him because he was moving to such an improved context in that ballpark and in that lineup. So sure, the 200 or whatever it was at bats after he joined the Yankees, he wasn't good, right? But I don't think he's a different player all of a sudden. And the bottom line is that the context is as good as you could ask for. So the batting average probably is going to be a drag. It will be a drag. Uh, but is it possible that a few more homers land in that short porch and bump them up to, say, like a 230? Um, I think that's within the range of outcomes. So all of this to say, I'm probably not drafting him, but I think there's a case on the lower end. Like if he falls in a draft, I could understand uh, if someone takes that risk. And in like a head-to-head format where the batting average is not really, you know, you don't have to consider that as much, uh, I'm totally cool with taking Gallo around this spot. Uh, but one other thing, I mean, he looks really odd without his facial hair. Does he not? I mean, he's just <laughs> one of those guys that like, like for me, for like if the Yankees called me tomorrow and were like, hey, we'll we'll sign you, but you got to shave off your beard. Like, I'm not doing it because I'm like a different person. So, Oh, come on. I mean, I feel the same way because, I mean, I've got a beard. I've had this beard pretty much nonstop since I got out of the Army. Um, but... 
if they're offering you a million dollars a season, you're you're not. Oh man, no, nope. I'm sorry, can't do it. So uh, what I'm saying is maybe Gallo lost a little bit with uh, you know going <laughs> to there, but I don't know. Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on Gallo? Is he some? Are you the guy who took him at 124? Uh, I am not, but I can tell you the roster of the person who did because uh, I was looking at it. Uh, so this was uh, in League uh, Six. Uh, where was that? Uh, six thirty-three, uh, and Team Fifteen uh, took it. And this was the roster construction because honestly, that the whole conversation with Gallo comes down to how you put your roster together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mookie Betts, Adalberto Mondesi, George Springer, uh, Jose Abreu, Bobby Witt Jr., Chris Taylor, Mitch Garver, Eddie Rosario, and then Gallo as his ninth hitter. Uh, I'm not sure. And then he's also taken uh, he or she. I don't know who that's you know identity is is hidden because uh, I'm just looking at Team Fifteen. Uh, Josh Donaldson and Gavin Lux behind it. So there, there is certainly uh, a high amount of risk on this. And I'm not sure you know, it kind of forces you into some decisions later. Now that you have Gallo, you, you get into that decision tree where, okay, I've taken Gallo. Now you almost have to start looking at the, we've talked a little about a little bit about this, the Luis Arias, the Nick Madrigal, the Michael Brantley type of uh, branch off that decision tree to offset what you have there. So it really depends how you put it together. I, I will say this. I've considered taking him at a certain spot, but at the end of the day, I couldn't, I couldn't click, couldn't click the mouse. He was in the, he was in the process a couple of times, uh, but I just haven't been able to pull the trigger on it. Yeah. I mean, the problem with, cause I, I was talking with Danielle, you know, she was asking about Gallo and whether or not she should take him. Um, and she's like, Oh, but his average his average is so low. Um, and I, you know, I, I kind of explained, I you know, I, I don't tell her to pick that's up to her. Uh, but what I did explain was like how much he drags down your average. Mm-hmm. So if he hits two Oh two this year, which is in definitely in the range of outcomes for a guy sure. like Joey Gallo, the, the target, the 80th percentile target in TGFBI for a batting average is two sixty two. So that means you have to hit you have to have a player who plays as much as Joey Gallo that hits 322, which you're just not gonna find if you don't already have that on your roster. Uh and I mean, can't is, is anybody comfortable predicting anybody hitting 322 this year? I mean, even Wander Franco, like I'm I'm not comfortable projecting that. Uh, so it means you need probably two guys who are gonna hit 290 just to offset Joey Gallo's 202. And that's, I mean, that is just, you have to have that already set up. So therefore, if I have that already set up on a team and I'm getting to the point in the draft, if I've got two guys who I can comfortably project at 290 um, and then have already been offset by someone else and I need power late in the draft, you know, I might entertain that. But it's a, I don't think people realize how much, you know, 500 plate appearances of a, you know, 200 or 210 batting average really weighs you down. So this is me laughing because I've done too many damn drafts this winter. I have taken Joey Gallo. Uh, I did, I took him in the AFL writers league. I uh, took him at the end towards the end of the 12th round. Uh, but in that later on in that same draft, uh, I did take Michael Brantley. I did take, I did take uh, Luis Arias. Uh, so I, I took two guys to offset the batting average uh, to help there. But I did take Gallo at that point because in that particular build, uh, I had gone, you know, Alvarez, Jose Ramirez, Jose, uh, Jordan Alvarez, Tyler O'Neill, Jazz Chisholm, Dalton Varsho, Josh Bell, and Avisail Garcia to that point. 
and I was looking for one more power bat, and it was just it was I couldn't ignore it anymore, and so I went ahead and did that. But I felt better about it getting Brantley uh, and Arias later to help to help pull that up. But that's the kind of decision you're forced into uh, when you make that move uh, where it is. Uh, like I said, I, I completely forgot, but there he is sitting there at the end of the twelfth, and I did take him. Yeah, I just want to add, like, I, I think a couple episodes ago, Justin, you were talking about this idea of, uh, and I know Phil DeSol has talked about this as well, of keeping your options open. And I think a player like Gallo, like you said, Jace, it, it forces you into decisions, mm-hmm. which is exactly what I don't want to be doing during a draft. So, you know, for that reason, he's just not someone in, like, a 15-team uh, format. I'm, I'm just not touching yeah, I've drafted him twice this year. Um, one was in the AFL League, um, which was like back in October, uh, and it's a standalone. So I can like punt batting average if I need to. Um, and the other one was in an NFBC 50, which is a 12-team league. I think he's a little bit more palatable in a 12-team league just because he can sit on your bench quite a bit if the average hurt, uh, is hurting you. Like you've got a lot of other options that you might not have in a 15-team league. Uh, That being said, it's still difficult. It's so difficult to roster a guy who might be hitting, you know, 100, you know, 197 or something like that. Um, I do like him a lot better in on-base percentage leagues. Obviously, he walks, uh, and so that that definitely helps kind of make up the gap a little bit. But uh, in your traditional Roto leagues, it's it's such a hard – but you know, puzzle or puzzle piece to kind of fit into the puzzle that I'm I'm likely not going to have him on any more teams. Oh, hypothetical. What if? And this played nothing into my decision when I took him over there. But hypothetically, what if baseball came out and unilaterally put conditions on the shifts as they've often discussed and said you cannot flood the right side of the infield or you can't put six guys and and, and they put some conditions. How much would that factor in? So uh, yeah, I guess talking to our keeper league drafters, let's say Gallo's available this year uh, in your keeper league. Uh, and that that probability is on the table for this coming off season. They're not going to do it. I can't imagine they're going to do it right now with everything else, but who knows? You, sh- you right? sure? I mean, they did change the ball like mid-season without notice. That's and true. you can see the sticky stuff ban. Yeah, right. two months. So we're, since season. we're talking about hypotheticals, then let's say that. Let's say they come out and said part of the deal in, in working this out is we're putting this shift thing into play, and this is how it's going to work. How much does that change your value your valuation of Joey Gallo if teams cannot extremely overshift him the way they currently do? Oh, for me, I mean, it changes things. I, you know, there's just a lot of players whose value changes in that scenario. Uh, I don't. I think it's very likely that we're – I think it's almost 0% chance we see it this year. But, uh, you know, it's it's something to think about. It seems like that's where where things are headed um, in the future here. So – and if that happens, yeah, you have to change his value, I think. Yeah, I, it would definitely change the value. How much? I have no idea. And this is why I rely on smarter people in the industry to do that kind of research for me. And I'm sure somebody will – or probably already has done the research, um, or, or would do the research very quickly if they came out with that. Uh, that I, I have no idea how much. Like I don't know if that would bump them up two rounds for me, or uh, it would definitely make me much more likely 
to draft him in a in a standalone league where I am looking at putting batting average up because I think the variance on his batting average would become even greater and I think the upside would become greater in terms of you know hey maybe he can hit 240 now uh, which would make you know him a you know a lot more palatable hitting 240 than if he's hitting 210. All right, let's uh, let's move it along and talk about the next guy. That's Michael Conforto, who is currently homeless. Has not signed. He's not actually homeless, but he's uh, he has not signed with a team yet. Uh, Min is one seventy one. Max is two twenty two. Chris, what are your thoughts on Michael Conforto? Yeah, I think he's fine where he's going. Uh, we obviously don't know where he's going to end up. So, you know, if he ends up, I've heard Colorado as a rumor. Obviously, if he ends up there, his price is going to go up. Uh, he's better than he showed last year. He had some injuries and, you know, all around, he's a good player. Uh, I don't think he's a great player. And I, I don't see at this point in his career, you know, him taking a huge step forward in terms of his skills. Uh, I think he does benefit getting away from the Mets and potentially into a better home ballpark. Uh, but even still, though, there's just not a ton of upside, obviously no speed. Uh, and around that section of the draft, I there are several players I'd rather have. Like, uh, if I need power, I'd rather go get Jorge Soler, who gives you, I think, a considerably higher power ceiling. Or uh, Harrison Bader going a little bit later, who I think is a good chance to go 15-15 or better. And I'd even wait a little bit and get Enrique Hernandez, who I absolutely love this year. I think he's going way too late. So just think there are other options that I'd rather have over Conforto. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to request a uh, Enrique Hernandez video then because you're gonna have to sell me on uh, that. It one. might be coming. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. I I, I, I want to I'm putting the request in on that. Uh, Jason, where are you at on Conforto? Uh, you know, when you look at it, the the 2020 batting average just feels like the aberration, obviously, uh, with him. But then he's not as bad of an average hitter as he was last year. So it's it, it's been weird when you look at the numbers because his batting average has been anywhere from 220 to 322. So much like this ADP variance, his batting average has been all over the place. Uh, when I look at my ADP league, you know, he went um, in the middle of the 13th round to the aforementioned John Anderson um, in, in mine, and then in AL labor. He went $7 because for those who I believe I talked about this last week, but we took the top 12 free agents by ADP and made them ineligible uh, for a nomination. But anybody else below that was, uh, and all of them, all of them went single digits, save uh, Saya Suzuki who went $11, but every one of the open free agents uh, outside of that top 12 went single digits. And if that player signs with a national league team, you can rebate uh, that for half. So and I think we're rounding up. So in that case, Tristan Cockcroft will be able to get $4 back in, in his $100 fab budget uh, with that. Uh, for uh, for uh, comparison, I took Tommy Pham at five uh, as, as one of my outfielders. Uh, but not too many had multiples, but that's where that's where the value sits. So you know, it really depends on where he signs. Obviously, if he were to go to Colorado, uh, that creates – more playing time mess that none of us really want to worry about, but it would help his batting average uh, to that point. So we'll see where, where it goes. Not somebody that I've, uh, I, I know I don't have him for a fact, um, but also not somebody that I've targeted. If he's there at a decent price, he's in that group. Sure. I'll take him, uh, but he's not somebody that I'm designing a build around. Yeah. There are certain free agents that I go, 
you know, I don't really care where they land. Like, wherever they land, they're going to be good, or they're going to be this, or they're going to be that. And then there's certain free agents where it's like, ooh, a park or a teen context is really going to change what his value is. And I think Conforto falls in that ladder. Uh, you know, if he was to end up in Colorado, obviously that would be amazing for him. Um, but I'm not 100% sure. Like, I, I was really surprised he did not take the qualifying offer when the Mets gave it to him. Especially uh, heading not, into the uncertainty of this offseason, right? Yeah, and I mean, it's not like he was coming off of a, a big year where he's going to get this mega deal. Uh, I, I don't even know if he's going to get much more than a pillow deal. Anyways, maybe he just did not want to play with the Mets anymore. Maybe that was, uh, you know, that'd be my guess because you would have to think his agent's going to tell him, hey, you're not going to get $19 million a year on the market anywhere else, so why not take it for one year, pad your bank account, and then and then try to, you know, recoup your value. Um, uh, his combination of uh, injury history and the uncertainty have me fading him at, you know, current uh, price, especially because I don't know where he goes. If he ends up in a really good situation, I might, I might be interested, but like Chris said, like everybody will be interested in that, right? If he ends up in Colorado, his price is going to go up. So it seems unlikely I'm going to end up with Conforto at any point this offseason. Uh, the next guy on the list is a guy that not only was my league part of the min max, um, it was my pick. Uh, I set the max on Tyler Molly uh, at 231. The min was at 88. So, Jason, where are you at on Tyler Molly? Not the men. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Not at the men. Although, I don't know. Maybe it's this sheet I'm looking at, but the men for him is 107 now. I, I mean, that shouldn't change. I, I don't know. I'm looking at the same uh, Google Doc as everybody else, but it's showing the men for Molly is 107 now. For Either either way, uh, I'm still not. Maybe the numbers just aren't publishing right. I don't know. It's saying 107, 158, so I'll stop looking at that. Uh I just have concerns about Cincinnati. Uh, if, if they decide they're going to, you know, remember they were one of the teams that did not make any moves prior to the lockout, didn't sign anybody. So it feels like they're rolling out with the team they have, uh, or they're going to flip around and start moving some of these guys and, and moving some of the offense. Uh, so I have just have concerns about what type of run support uh, he's going to get. They've already lost Castellanos from that offense. Uh, if they decide to make other moves, if, if, you Eugenio Suarez uh, and does not bounce back, and the shoulder injury has led to a permanency in his um, in, in his swing plane, and this is the new version of him. Uh, that's concerning. It would be awesome if Jesse Winker can stay on the field uh, and, and maximize his abilities, but I'm just concerned that the the uncertainty and their uh, bullpen situation, and if they start selling the farm to further cut cost, uh, could impact him negatively. I like Molly as a pitcher, but I'm not. I'm closer to the max than I am the min uh, in taking him. And uh, you are correct. The min is 107. The max is 158. I must have just inputted it wrong. Uh, Chris, where are you at on Tyler Molly? Can I just talk about Enrique Hernandez here? <laughs> right ahead. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just like bursting at the seams here. I love Enrique Hernandez where he's going. I mean, listen, he's leading off for the Red Sox, which we know is a fantastic lineup. And I don't want to hear, oh, it's Verdugo or it could be someone else. Like, he is the leadoff hitter. We He played, he was in that spot all year when he wasn't hurt. He gives you, he gives you good contact ability. 
Uh, the quality of contact really improved last year, especially in the second half, and we know what he did in the postseason. So he's an everyday player hitting on top of a good lineup who's going to not hurt. I, I think he'll help in batting average and give you above average power. He should not be going where he is. Just had to get that out there. <laughs> but uh, Tyler Molly, um, I'm kind of where Jason is. I mean, so the projections really don't like him. ATC has him for a 4.33 ERA, uh, 1.28 whip. Listen, I think he'll beat those projections because they're factoring in kind of when he was like a different pitcher a few years ago. Uh, but he would have to really uh, exceed those numbers to make this a valuable pick for where he's going. Then you factor in the NLDH, his home ballpark. He also had a pretty significant decline in his spin rate in the second half last year. Um, I just – I don't think he's going to kill you, but I, I don't think he's really going to help you if you're drafting him where he is right now. Yeah, Molly's a guy that I, I really liked um, kind of coming into draft season and as we worked our way through it, and I've had to drop him uh, a fair amount recently. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to bring up my ranks real quick to see exactly where I dropped him to. Uh, but I had him as a, a borderline top 30 starter, and I still have not dropped him. So um, I, I, lo I love this stuff. The park and the defense behind him are concerned, and I think that's one of the reasons why I need to drop him, and I, I will, after this episode, uh, kind of probably drop him into the 40s. Uh, you know, if, if they're going to stick with Kyle Farmer at shortstop and not move on to Jose Barrero, um, you know, of course that park is not a great place for a, a guy who gives up, uh, you know, a hard contact. Um, I do like the skills a lot, but the context around him, if he gets traded, I think he could jump back up into being like a top 40 starter where I have him ranked currently, but, um, probably needs to be outside of that considering, uh, where he's at in Cincinnati. Um, but I still am happy. I, I got him, like I said, I got him in TGFBI at pick 158. Um, he's my number four starter, I believe. Um, and that's having, you know, gone pocket aces and waited a really long time. And so I do think he's a guy like, like Chris said, that can beat the projections that are kind of ugly on him. The question is how much is he going to beat those projections? Yeah. I would say the other point about the wins and the reason why uh, I looked at it with, with him, you know, uh, we talked a little bit about this on the baseball HQ forum yesterday uh, with uh, cheap wins as stats. Tyler, Tyler Molly uh, had the, the, the second, the second highest total of cheap wins. That's a win and a non-quality starts in the national league last year behind only Julio Urias. So six of his 13 wins came in non-quality starts. Year to year stickiness in, but if you look back and be like, wow, how did Molly win 13 games? Uh, you know, some luck swung his way. Uh, an example, like the opposite end of that, stay, staying with his teammate, Luis Castillo had six tough luck losses where he took the loss in an outing where he had a quality start. Uh, and so that's that can go either way in years, but sometimes you see a guy take a jump and wins, like, hey, where did that come from? And with with Molly, uh, he got some nice run support uh, and it was able to get some of those cheap wins that certainly helped him uh, with that. And the run support in the in the uh, he had five point two runs of support in the innings in which he pitched um, wow. the Reds five point five as a team, but five point five runs of support. 
So if that Cincinnati offense takes a step back, unless the skater scoring four and a half, maybe that cuts that wins in three and he goes from 13 to 10. Um, every one of those wins makes a difference uh, in the, in the uh, standings and the auction values, all of that. Uh, so it's just something to consider. Yeah, I've uh, I just quickly dropped him. I had him at thirty uh, prior to this episode, and I have dropped him down to thirty eight in my ranks. Uh, I, I can't seem to drop him much lower than that because the guys I've got lower than that are all like major injury risk guys. Um, and it, the one thing I, I feel pretty comfortable with is that he's going to be pitching, whereas guys like Carlos Rodon um, and Pablo Lopez and Charlie Morton. Uh, as much as I, I, I like those guys a lot, I like their skills, I, I worry about the health. Mm-hmm. Um, Morton should jump up once we see him on the mound, but I need to see him on the mound before that. Um, all right. Uh, and uh, I appreciate the Torres take. I'm going to re-examine my outfielder and second base ranks on uh, on Enrique Hernandez. So uh, I mean, I you're getting him as like a middle infielder. I mean, that's the other thing. Like the guy has multi-position eligibility. Like, what are we doing? You know, mm-hmm. he, he should be going higher. I had him super high early in the off season, and then I just dropped him and dropped him and dropped him, and now I've probably got him too low. So, um, I'm definitely, I definitely got to go re-examine that one. Um, one that I'm really interested to get your take there, Chris, is Logan Gilbert, uh, who has got a wide range of his min and max. One thirty-seven is the min. One ninety-three is the max. Uh, some people really, really excited for Logan Gilbert's second year in the majors. Some people uh, aren't ready to kind of anoint him as the next big starter. Where are you at on Logan Gilbert? So he had a 1.17 whip last year, which is pretty damn good. Uh, ATC is projecting him to be 1.18, uh, which again, for this point in the draft is is pretty solid. So I'm totally cool taking him here just based on that. Uh, he's got the prospect pedigree. He's got the home ballpark, an elite bullpen behind him. He's not someone who's a must-have for me. I did take him in one DC because he fell a little bit. So I'm not taking him at that min pick, uh, but I'm okay taking him kind of in the middle there or definitely if he falls beyond like, you know, 160, 170. Uh, I'm cool with taking him as my SP4. All right, Jason, where are you at on Logan Gilbert? Uh, I like him quite a bit. Uh, and so last last night, yeah, Friday night uh, with AL Labor, I ended up rostering uh, Gilbert for $14. Uh, and so that's where I – and that's AL only. Uh, where I And this was about six nominations after I decided not to get into a bidding war with Sean Childs and Greg Ambrosius for Tristan McKenzie. I look at McKenzie and Gilbert as one and the same. And I've talked often how I like to – look at buckets of players. I mean, those are two. I, I would like to have one of those uh, was the plan going into, into labor. Uh, and then I got into that odd number swim lane. Uh, and I, for some reason, decided, you know what? And I value them both the same. I just like, if I say 11, they're going to go 12. Is it cost 13? Oh, maybe I can get Gilbert cheaper. Well, apparently other people were looking at Gilbert as well because I had to go 14 to get Gilbert uh, with that. But I, I really like the stuff uh, between the two of them. I like the opportunity in Seattle better for the conditions overall uh, with the better bullpen uh, and should be a better team uh, with that aspect of them. So I do like Gilbert quite a bit. So in this case, that would be closer to the min uh, than the max uh, on Gilbert. 
uh, with that. And and I've got Gilbert in probably three leagues now. Uh, but I like I said, I paid up for him. I was I knew I was going to pay in the teens, but I went the extra dollar because that was my bucket of guys. And I made a mistake letting uh, not trying to settle that decision with McKenzie first. It wasn't like I was targeting Gilbert. It was you know these are the two guys that I like. These are the prices, and go from there. What I really like about Logan Gilbert is that he hit kind of a rookie wall and then rebounded, right? Like the yeah. league changed on him, started to approach him a little bit differently, just absolutely crushed him to the tune of a 970 ERA in the month of August. But then in September, he made changes, changed up the pitch mix a little bit, um, and uh, it was really, really good um, to the tune of a 270 ERA. So, I mean... He cut seven earned runs off his ERA uh, from August to September. Um, I love a guy who runs into adversity and then figures it out, especially that quickly. It's a great park to pitch in. Um, you know, I've got him inside of my top uh, 50 starting pitchers. I might actually even move him up a little bit more because he is a whip asset, uh, like Chris mentioned. So uh, Gilbert's a guy that I think um, – I don't. I think I'm probably going to be closer to that min than I am that max. Uh, I also think that he's one of those guys that if people start seeing him in spring, just looking really, really good, that could jump quite a bit. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, there's also there's always other guys that will jump too. So maybe he doesn't jump too much. How good is that Seattle team going to be in a couple of years? I mean, with the guys it's, that got coming out, it's going to be scary good. The, those, uh, you know, poor Seattle Mariner fans who have been dealing with mediocrity for, for so long and got so close to, you know, a, a World Series many, many years ago uh, with that amazing, what was it, 2001 team, I think it was. Um, you know, they, they, they've been suffering through some pretty bad Mariner teams, but man, I, I don't know if there's a brighter future in the majors uh, than that Seattle team. Um, it, it's really, really interesting. And I would say this, like last year was almost like the year too early thing for them. Like they got ridiculously mm -hmm. amazing in the in the late and close game. So I would say like I'm expecting a little bit of a step back before they take a big step forward here. Mm -hmm. uh, so I forget. I'm just throwing the numbers off the top of my head. I believe they finished like 85 or 86 wins. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, but like take away, you know, four to five wins. But then next year, like I expect them to be living in the 90 plus range. The following, the following, like three, uh, three they, seasons. They went ninety and seventy-two. They're already ninety. So all right, so let's take that back to eighty-five. But then they're going to be living in the nineties. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and kudos to uh, kudos to their front office for not like selling big pieces of their farm to try to make a push last year. Because... Well, they have the number one farm system in baseball by Baseball America. Uh, and, oh yeah. It took the Rays <laughs> promoting everything they have to do that, but still. Uh, they still have the number one, uh, number one yeah. in, in baseball, and you know, good for them. Julio Rodriguez oh, traded away. <laughs> yeah. Julio Rodriguez coming this year, and Oviel Martinez or uh, Marte, um, Matt Brash, and Matt Brash. Like these are some Marte's a really really fun guy for fantasy. Just just wait if you if you have any chance of acquiring him in a dynasty league or keeper league, uh, do that. I think he's going to be a really, really uh, good, fun fantasy player. So, um, all right, let's uh, move on to uh, Hunter Renfro, who was Henrique Hernandez's teammate last season. Now he is in Milwaukee after being traded. 
Jason, where are you at on Hunter Renfro coming off of a huge season? Uh, I like Renfro quite a bit, and I'll tell you, I nearly pulled the trigger on him in the 13th round in my TGFBI. Uh, in fact, he went the pick after me. Uh, so at the turn there, I took Mitch Garver and Saya Suzuki, uh, but nearly pulled the trigger on Renfro instead of Garver, uh, waiting on deciding I was going to wait on catchers. But at the end of the day, I'm looking at the where catchers were going. I wanted to, to get on the Garver, bounce back uh, with that. So I was that close to him. I, I love uh, as much – I'm happy that Renfro is no longer playing for the Red Sox. So he doesn't murder the Rays like he did last year. I mean, he just absolutely, it was a, it was a, uh, a reckoning tour. He just absolutely murdered them. Not then again, they're not away from him because the NL central and the AL East match up in interleague play this year. So they will have to see him again uh, with that. And the move to Milwaukee certainly helps uh, because the, the ballpark situation. So that's a nice fit. Uh, we saw what Avisel Garcia was able to do in Milwaukee. That's the spot that Renfro was taking over uh, with that. And so he should enjoy similar numbers. Uh, not to mention, he's going to get to play against a very, very bad Pittsburgh team. He's going to get the, the Cubs and whatever they are. He's going to have the Reds uh, that you know, we've talked about maybe shuffling things around. So uh, good ballparks, good offset, uh, unbalanced schedule. Uh, all on his benefit. I expect a, a nice season from him. It was a, a really surprising trade when the team made it, but they needed, you know, the the Red Sox wanted Bradley Jr.'s defense back in, uh, in the play. Uh, I was, again, really surprised they made it, uh, but really glad he's out of the AL East. Uh, and honestly, this is a better situation for him. And he'll be able to slot right there and uh, likely hit behind uh, Adamas. I forget exactly where they have him, but he's going to be in a nice run production spot in a great ballpark really good conditions, somebody that uh, I wouldn't mind having on more teams. Chris, where are you at on Hunter Renfro? Uh, so I love Renfro almost as much as my children at this price. I mean, he, I, I'm all in. Uh, so he made significant gains in his contact percentage last season uh, while not really sacrificing any power. Uh, and listen, last year was the first time that he really was a full-time player. So I, I think this is a situation where, you know, he just took a step forward in his development rather than this just being, uh, you know, a, a one-year fluke. Uh, he's still, like Jason was saying, he's going to be in a good ballpark against some really wretched pitching in NL Central. Uh, and I think he'll also be in a better lineup slot this year than he was last year. I mean, with the Red Sox, he was more in like, the six to seven range sometimes would move up a little bit, but you know, I think he's probably more likely to be at four or five spot with the Brewers. Um, and if you plug his projection into an Excel spreadsheet, you know, it shows, or like uh, I use RotoChamp draft software and it shows him as a value based on where he's going, just based on his projection. And I, I think, you know, there's upside for more than that. So yeah, absolutely love him this year. Uh, he's a great route runner, and he's got no competition for targets either. So, I mean, I th I'm all in. <laughs> for those that don't know, there's a wide receiver on the Raiders <laughs> named Hunter Renfro, spelled with a W. Uh, <laughs> so that was a good joke. I like that. I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing listeners going, targets? Yeah. Um, so, what? What's what? what he trying to point? Those people off. Make sure they're paying attention. <laughs> uh, I, I was a little taken aback at first, and then I got it. Um, this is what I get for being up until four o'clock in the morning doing work. But um, Renfro made uh, real gains 
against uh, right-handed pitching, which has kind of been one of his his weak spot and the reason why he hasn't had full-time playing time. But he hit 250 against righties uh, last season. Um, and it wasn't like something where it was like really like BABIP fueled. I think he had like a 275 BABIP against righties. So it's not like he was getting super lucky. Um, if he can keep those gains, he could have a monster season. And he, But he needs to keep those gains. Uh, because the NL Central is really, really right-handed. There are only four project right, currently as it stands right now by Ross Research. There are only four projected lefties on his opponents in that division, um, and so he does need to keep those gains. I think he can. I think what he showed last year is legitimate. Um, I think that makes him a value where he's going, uh, especially considering uh, with his defense. Even if he does struggle a little bit, he's probably going to still be out there pretty close to uh, every day. Um, And right now, roster resource hasn't projected to hit cleanup in that Milwaukee lineup, uh, which is still pretty strong on the top end of it. So, uh, but for those of you who are looking at platoon bats in the NL central, you want the strong side, strong side platoon guys are going to play a lot. So Rowdy Telez, if there's only four pitchers in the NL central that are left-handed, he's going to play quite a bit. Uh, but as far as Renfro goes, I, I'm in on the price. I I need to bump him up and, and probably take him uh, a little bit more than I have so far. Yeah, and let's get rowdy. I mean, I'm just uh, I love him this year too. Yeah, I didn't realize until I just looked it up right now as you guys were talking how few lefties are projected to be in that NL Central. So that, that's going to make a huge difference for for guys who are strong side and on the bad side for guys who are weak side platoons. Yeah. Um, moving right along, uh, Ryan Mountcastle, uh, this was another max in my league. Uh, he went at 177, just sat out there for a long time. His min is 85. Um, obviously my league was very, very afraid of the park change in Baltimore for him. Uh, Jason, what are your uh, thoughts on Ryan Mountcastle? Yeah, my league uh, wasn't uh, – we weren't there. He was in the middle. Uh, he went 115 uh, in mine uh, with that. And if you've – you know, Derek Carty presented at this Baseball HQ virtual forum, and he's he's mentioned the same thing on Twitter. Uh, but if you go back and look, like he, he's basically forecasting a four-home run drop for, for Mountcastle. But he also makes the point on how the – people may say, oh, four home runs, no big deal. That also comes into runs scored. That also impacts uh, runs driven in. So there's a trickle-down impact of that uh, with that. And so it's it's definitely a factor to be considered. I mean, he's got dual eligibility before the park change. Uh, there's no doubt people weren't uh, were more excited about him than after the park change. Some folks are just writing it off saying, you know, no big deal. It's, it is what it is. I would like to see a Venn diagram of people saying, I still like Ryan Mountcastle a lot. Um, despite the park. And then now people are like, Oh, I really love John means. I want to see what that Venn diagram looks like. Cause I kind of hear the same thing uh, out of both sides. It's like, if you love the pitcher so much, because that's going to happen, then how are you saying the hitter is going to be the same um, with that? So um, he's not, I haven't had on, on anyone's any particular squad, but the, the arguments there for him to be a very good producer because he's going to play in volume. Yeah, the park's going to have an impact, but he's going to have a lot of volume. That said, I don't see any value in, in his price for the most part. The, at least the ones I've been in, he's been going right. He's been almost going chalk in every one of them. Uh, and then looking last, uh, I keep saying last night, but looking back um, at uh, 
at where he was his league his ale only price was twenty dollars um and then last and then in the uh i was trying to see what he went for in in the mixed in the mixed one uh but he went 20 in that one and then last night uh in the mixed one uh mount castle went seven uh to ariel cohen so that's where mixed value price is maybe the 20 i don't recall exactly where mount castle came up in the uh, in the ale auction but 20 feels really high for me uh, I know I was out on that. I think I just did some cursory bids to push some stuff up, but twenty is not a good price for me. But seven in a in a fifteen team mix feels really good. Yeah, I'm looking up where he went in the ale uh, auction, but I'll let Chris uh, give his thoughts while I do that. Yeah, as uh, Randy Jackson of American Idol would say, that's a no for me, dog. Uh, I mean, <laughs> his, his underlying skills are really, I mean, I'm just pulling them up now. They're nothing special. I mean, he's got a 41.5% O swing. Um, contact percentage is 70%. Uh, I just, a uh, swinging strike percentage of 16.2. I'm just not seeing, yeah, he's going to give you some power. I don't think he's going to kill you with batting average. But at that point in the draft, um, I'm not really sure why people are taking him there. Uh, why are, why are we taking him ahead of like say a Reese Hoskins or a Joey Votto, you know, even with the, like you were saying with the park change too. I mean, I just don't see a reason why those guys are going after Mount Castle. I took Hoskins seven picks later. So I was, <laughs> I, was I took Hoskins at lead off the ninth round where Mount Castle went uh, six picks in front of me. So that's where uh, that's where, and by the way, Mount Castle was the 24th player nominated nail. I don't know yeah, where he, he was last night, but twenty four. Yeah, you went. You went uh, twenty dollars um, in uh, in AL labor. Mm -hmm. uh, Mountcastle is probably the guy I've had the biggest shift in terms of where I have ranked uh, this year, um, because coming into draft season or prior to draft season, I guess um, I was really high on Mountcastle. I, I I think Mountcastle is one of those guys that um, kind of beats his underlying numbers. Uh, he's hit pretty much at every level, uh, and he's done that in the majors too so far. In spite of the fact having kind of lackluster stat cast data um, and uh, and approach metrics. So that being said, I think he is hurt a lot by that park change. Um, I think he's probably hurt more than any other guy. Uh, and four home runs, I I, th I think that's probably the bare minimum of what we see in terms of him losing uh, power. Uh, to left field. Uh, love that he's outfield and infield eligible. I love those guys who can go from, you know, first quarter the outfield on your team. But uh, like I said, I was in that league where he went, I think, 177, uh, and I didn't take him. And so I, I'm probably now on the lower end of that kind of ADP at this point uh, just because of the part change um, and the team context around him. Like that Orioles team probably is not going to be very good to help offset maybe a, a – uh, some drop in power. So, uh, next guy on the list does not have any issues with power. Uh, he has a little bit of issues of staying on the field, and, and I think a little bit might be uh, underselling it. And that's Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, when he's on the field, he is absolutely fantastic, could lead the majors in home runs, but he's had a hard time staying on the field. His mean is 56, his max is 114. Chris, where are you at? On Giancarlo Stanton. 
hate to be so negative here, but I mean, he's another one. I'm just not even considering. Uh, why am I going to take a, at best, a three and a half category player at, at this point of the draft? Uh, I think people are still kind of dreaming on 2017 when he had almost 60 home runs. Uh, I don't think it's likely we, we see that again, especially as now he's getting older and we know that health has been an issue. Uh, I'll, I'll take, I think I brought him up before, Jorge Soler. Uh, I'll take Renfro much later. I'd even, I'd even rather take Gallo at his price than Stan. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm out on him. Jason, where are you at on Stan? I uh, have him in one league, took him at 105. Uh, in a, I took him out of the, the last pick of the seventh round uh, in a draft champions uh, format. And the only other hitters, that's the one I opened up with pocket aces and then had Lindor, uh, Brandon Lau, and Nolan Arenado in front of him. Uh, so I was looking for another big power source, and that's where I went uh, with that. So he's I had him last year. He was like the power anchor of my AL labor team. That did not work out well. Uh, and it's not like I, oh, I hate him, but as Chris said, you know, that, that 58 home run season was awesome. Uh, and we know what he's capable of if he can stay on the field, but how many times every year it's something. Uh, and even though the guy's got, uh, it takes incredibly good, uh, care of himself. It's just, you, know, you can't pull fat and, and, but when you're muscular as him, <laughs> that gets pulled and every time it's something, it's an oblique and okay, there it goes four weeks right there. Uh, it's just it, it just gets annoying after a while, and at that point you're like mitigating risk. Uh, like I said, I wouldn't mind him at the price. I there's no way I'm I'm up in that min range of no. But he was sitting there at 105. It was like at that point, if he's in if he's outside of the top 100, it's just too good to ignore. I'm I'm willing to take that chance there. Yeah, I've got him as my number 25 outfielder right now, which would be outside of the top 100. And I've got multiple guys going outside the top 100 above him seems really unlikely I'm going to get him. I, what Chris said kind of nailed it. You've got a guy who is likely at best a four-category producer, um, and more likely he's more of a three-category producer yeah. um, with injury risk. Like the, the combination of not being able to give me stolen bases, um, unsure about where his batting average is going to be, and then injury risk on top of it, nah, I just – I don't – He's not going to fit into the build of very many of my teams unless it's really, really like he's he's dropped probably outside the top 130, 140, maybe even 150. And I just Is that don't a see that from happening. You too, dog? That is a nod for me too, dog. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, moving right along, we have, uh, um, let's see, it was, oh, Taylor Rogers. So the min on this one is 86. The max is 208. Uh, the guy who picked him at his min said he really liked him, but he actually made a mistake taking him as early as he did. Uh, that was Steve Paulo uh, of the Stomper Projections. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give a little, you know, um, caveat there to that min. Uh, but still has been going kind of in a wide range in drafts so far. Uh, in TGFBI. Um, Jason, where are you at on Taylor Rogers? It's, and I, and I say this as the, the guy who's been touting and tooting to Jorge Alcalahorn all winter. Uh, it's not because I hate Taylor Rogers. Uh, it's just, you know, there was, there was talks last year at the trade deadline that he may be moved. Uh, and so we don't know if that's still a situation uh, that, that could happen because if you look at the skills 
awesome strikeout rate, really low walk rate. Uh, you know, I know smart players like Matt Modica said he loves the guy. He would love to have him as his closer. He said it. And all these skills look great. High ground ball rate, every part of that. But then you remember that he was third on his club in saves last year. Alex Conway led that team in saves before he was traded. And the Hansel Robles had 10. Then it was Rogers with nine. And Duffy had three. Alcala won. And then Garza and Dobnak just picked up some you know, like three-inning saves uh, type of situations. But you know, they had multiple guys there. So it wasn't like they were completely sold on him last year uh, as well. And even prior to that, I know one season he had 30 saves. But other other times, he uh, he didn't have that. So, uh that's the only the only thing against him is that his club doesn't feel fully bought in on him and that he may be traded. Other than that, it would be an awesome he would be an awesome reliever to have because the skills are just they they jump off the paper at you. Uh, but there's a reason why I've been tar- targeting a Callahan's because of that. Where are you at on uh, on Taylor Rogers there, Chris? So I like him quite a bit actually. Um, I mean, just looking at the skills, I'm pulling up uh, the baseball forecaster here for uh, Baseball HQ. They had him at an expected whip of 0.93. His actual whip was 1.14. So I think we could expect a little regression there. Uh, But also, uh, even way more important is that his velocity jumped up uh, 1.2 miles per hour from 2020, from 94.6 to 95.8. I mean, he was just – he really showed some elite skills. Uh, so given how uh, crazy people have gotten with closers, I'm certainly willing to take a risk on Rogers. My, I guess, baseline for him is that he gets like 60% of Minnesota saves, which with those elite ratios, I think is more than worth it at his current price. And uh, like I said before, I use RotoChamp draft software. So I like it because you could put in, you know, you just plug in the projection and you know, it gives you a dollar value based on that, kind of like the auction calculator on fan graphs. And Taylor Rogers' projection, he's like the one closer uh, that actually shows us a positive value based on where he's going. Uh, I think he's ranked like like a $10 player, where everybody else is, according to that valuation, being way overdrafted. So uh, I'm totally fine with Taylor Rogers as my second closer. Um, you know, again, I just think the skills are, are so elite that it makes it worth it. I love Taylor Rogers as a pitcher, and I see exactly what Chris is talking about in terms of the skills being fantastic. The problem is they would have traded him last year had he not gotten hurt right before the trade deadline. Um, and this I, is his walk year, by the way. This is his final year mm-hmm. of contract before he's a free agent. So if they are going to do at, something, now would be that. At best, he's going to be traded midseason. Um, at worst, he's traded to a non-closing situation prior to the start of the season um, because of lefty bias. That being said, like I'm totally fine taking Taylor Rogers, but I would highly recommend handcuffing a call it to him. Um, and, but the problem is in Minnesota is it could be Tyler Duffy, like it could like. They're a team that has shown like they're not necessarily uh, guaranteed to stick with one guy. They may spread the saves around. So remember what Kaplan gave Kaplan. Remember what Rocco Baldelli. Remember what coaching tree and organization he's out of. Yep, exactly out of that Tampa Bay coaching tree. So um, as much as I like Rogers, it seems unlikely I'm going to end up with him anymore because I'm done with all my dcs uh for the draft season and i can't roster the entire minnesota bullpen in a fab league so um 
I just want to make one more quick point. I'm sorry. Um, Please do. So back in 2019, and Rocco Baldelli was a manager back then, Taylor Rogers had 30 saves. So it's not like we've never seen him, you know, we're, we're not just speculating. We've never seen him actually get a majority of the closers role before. So, you know, if he's pitching that well, if those skill gains carry over to this year, I think Minnesota's kind of going to be forced to, you know, he's going to be their guy at the end of games. Uh, so if he's given us 30 before, why can't he give us, you know, 15 to 20? And again, I think at that spot, that would be pretty valuable. Yeah, I'm, I, I actually think you've got a, a really good point um, there. I'm trying to look at who is on that. Uh, I, I have it right here. Remember, Blake Parker saved 10 for that club, too. Oh, Sergio Romo, right three, Trevor May, two, and then Ryan Harper, Randy Dobnak, Mike Barron, Trevor Hildenberger, Devin Smelter also had saves. So they had nine guys with at least one save that year, but we had two with double digits, which is a rarity these days uh, with that. I, I believe that was a season Parker started out. I forget exactly how that how that yeah. uh, thing went, but he was the guy out of the gate, and Rodgers was the dirt cheap guy. Uh, and then they you know he was able to pick up his – he became the guy to get the saves. I'm trying to look at the logs. Uh, no, I take that back. Um, no, it's all showing 2021 logs. I'm sorry. Uh, let me jump to 2019. Uh, showing the save logs – yeah, Parker was getting his saves early in the season, uh, and then Parker was done with saves by mid by mid June, towards the end of June, Father's Day. That was the last time he got a save. Pretty sure he got sent out of the minors. Uh, he was so bad at one point. Um, yeah, I'm, I think I think Chris is turning me around a little bit on uh, on Taylor Rogers. I think I still think my main concern though is that he gets traded. Um, no, that but, yeah, I agree. He's not Kimbrel traded flight risk. I mean that's a good thing for Kimbrel, uh, but mm-hmm. there's that's definitely something you got to put into play. It would be unlikely Minnesota is going to give him a qualifying offer uh, yeah. because Lord knows a closer would love to take a qualifying offer. I mean look at look where the White Sox are. It's like well, everyone they're going to trade Kimbrel because he took the offer. It sounds like the new CBA won't have those though, right? Because um, there's no draft pick compensation attached right. to uh, players, so I, I don't know if the qualifying offer will even be a thing. Uh, heading into not just locks things down, but it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's at the same point. This is the time it would have been good to trade him, but like you said, he got hurt mid year a little bit, so that's you can't do it then. But now's now's the best time to do it because in season they're gonna you know you get somebody top forty man roster. Uh, it all depends. It, the you know the um, the Cubs got a got a good price. You know, were able to get Cody Hoyer and Nick Madrigal for Craig Kimbrell. That worked out. That was really that would be the ideal type of return uh, because both those guys will be factors on the 25, 26 man roster this year for the Cubs. Uh, that's what the Twins would be hoping for. But again, the Twins are also hoping to contend in the AL Central this year and are not looking to sell uh, at the deadline. So it's. It, if you can trade Rodgers now and try to build and, and maybe bring somebody else in that's a more than a one year solution, uh, along with what you already have, then they've got you know they've got some options together because offensively it's you can't just write that club off and be like because if that offense plays to its capabilities, it's a contender uh, and what they have on paper could be a contender uh, as well. Uh, that so rotation, man. That rotation's a little bit of a mess, though. Well, um, that, that's what they got. That's what they got to bring in. So if the, nobody's going to trade a starter for a closer, but you know maybe they go out and sign somebody uh, to that to that capacity, or they're aggressive with um, Belosovic or Belosovic uh, and bringing him up. 
uh, and seeing what happens. Uh, it'll be curious to see where they where they go. I, I think if if you draft Rodgers, what you should do is put Akala on your bench or reserve list um, just for like until the season starts because you'll know pretty quick who the guy is, right? If Rodgers goes out and gets the first two saves, he's obviously the guy. If they spread it around the first two opportunities, it may be a little bit more of a committee. But at least you've got the backup if they trade Rodgers before the start of the season and have the guy kind of um, the next man up. And you can always drop a Kala once you know that Rodgers is, is safe in the guy. So um, I would highly recommend handcuffing the next man up, which I think – Jason and I, at least, um, are in agreement. It's probably Alcala. Well, but I'll tell you this. I don't know if you can wait to the reserves. It may be one of these situations where you take him in the, one of your last couple of picks, and so you've, you're using two roster spots to secure. If, uh, using the 2019, you're taking Blake Parker and Taylor Rogers to get the 40 saves um, from that. But you may have to do that because I, I, I continue to see Alcala's value go up. I mean, he went $3.00. Uh, in AL labor uh, is the price he went. And that was my max bid, but Rick and Glenn beat me to him, but they also had more money than me. So it wouldn't have mattered. Um, and, but Alcala did not even go in the reserves last night uh, of mixed labor. So there's a chance you may not have to, uh, but I've seen his price kind of go all over the place. And I know in TGFBI, um, he's already gone in some leagues. When we look at where his price is, he's you know, 396 and 412. He's only gone in two leagues. Um, so he's still sitting out from doing my math. I can't do math. I was told there would be no math. Um, but you know, 23 times 15 is three, seven is the, why am I, I should know this number by heart. It only drives me nuts. Three forty-five. Uh, so he has gone, uh, he has not gone in the active phase. So yay, you can pass that off. Yeah. I think he went in the 25th or 26th round in my league. Um, and I was I was sniped. Oh no, it was the twenty seventh round because I I remember yelling at Shelley for for sniping me in the twenty seventh <laughs> round um, of TGFBI on Alcala. So, uh, all right, uh, let's move on to another closing prospect. That's David Bednar, who is uh, projected by a lot of people right now to be the closer in Pittsburgh to start the year. We love the skills. Uh, his min pick is one thirty three. His max pick is two eighteen. Chris, where are you at on David Bednar? Did Chris Stratton get traded or go to no, another I, team? I just, this is what I'm You're speaking Justin's language right there. Thank you, yeah. You kind of yeah, you went right Stratton. over his head and you started talking about targets, but you say Chris Stratton. It's like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think Bednar, I think people are projecting him to be you know, they want to see him in the everyday role, and, and he is a good pitcher. I mean, the skills are really are really good. Uh, but Chris Stratton is there, and we saw that they were willing to share to split the role between him and Bednar at the end of last year. Uh, so the Pirates are such a putrid team, though. I mean, that do you really want a part-time closer on the Pirates, uh, even if they're giving you really good ratios? Uh, I don't think it's. Listen, I don't think it's uh, crazy to take him here, but personally, I'm just I'm not interested. Yeah, I, I think this is the disconnect sometimes between fantasy and real life baseball, um, in the fact that uh, we often look for the best skills in a bullpen. Um, and I understand people wanting to draft skills, not roles, but when it comes to closers, major league teams don't often go with the most skilled guy as their closer. 
uh, especially when there's, you know, things like arbitration values for them to consider later on. And they're going to go with a kind of, you know, low end cost controlled guy like Chris Stratton. Um, and I mean, I think the most important thing is look at the usage. Like you said, Chris Stratton was the guy getting the saves down the stretch last year. And he no wasn't reason. bad. So, no, yeah, he's fine. Yeah. For, former ace Chris Stratton. Um, for those who don't know, uh, I thought Chris Stratton was actually going to be a thing as a starter at one point. Um, so, uh, but yeah, uh, Chris Stratton is one of my most rostered players this year in DCs because he's going extremely cheap and everybody's treating David Bednar like he's the closer when I don't think he is. Jason, where are you at on David Bednar? I think it comes down with Bednar's stuff. If you watched the two of them pitch, I was more impressed with Bednar's stuff. Uh, but the other piece of this equation too, is if I'm Pittsburgh and Bednar gets out of the gate rolling and rocking, and somebody has a need, I am absolutely putting them on the block. And it's like about a fantasy league, like, oh, hey, you need a closer? I've got one. There's no reason why Pittsburgh should be keeping that type of thing. Uh, you know, they need, and they're and they're cheap, uh, as they've proven time and time and time again. But if, if, if Bednar can do something, they have the ability to put him on the block and move him. Uh, so that's always a factor. I, I would... Yeah, I wouldn't. I would put the the likeness of a trade with him along the same uh, pages as, as as Rogers, only because it's the smart move for for Pittsburgh uh, to do this. Because you know they they gave Stratton opportunities, they got him off DFA, I believe, unless they got him dirt on, on some trading a guy with out of options with Pittsburgh uh, with uh, San Francisco. I forget how it went, um, how they got the acquisition. But yeah, that's my only concern with Bednar. But from a stuff perspective, he's got it. Uh, but I'm. They, they gave the opportunity to Stratton last year. So on paper, I would say that Bednar is the 70, 30, is the 70 of the 70-30 option. But if he gets traded, it flips. Then he's not going to get – I don't think he's going to get acquired to be a, a primary closer on another team. It would be here, uh, but another team would be acquiring him for depth, uh, not, as the, as, not as the primary front guy unless somebody got hurt. Yeah, it looks like uh, Bednar, going to Ross Research, uh, roster resource was acquired. He was, was purchased in 2019 from the Angels. So I'm assuming that's a trade for cash um, is, uh, is what that was. So yeah, that was the year he was out of options. So I, then he went from San Francisco to the Angels, and then they must have DFA yeah. him, so it became a deal for cash. I mean, yeah. ultimately, I think that Chris Stratton and Bednar probably share the role, um, especially initially, um, and, and that's at best for Bednar. And like Chris said, like. Do you want a guy who's sharing save opportunities on what is likely one of the worst teams in baseball this year? I, I don't know. I just, uh, I mean, saves are saves. Guys are going to get them. I, I know there's people are worried about, oh, it's a bad team and whatnot. But at the same point, you know, saves are saves, and even on bad like Melanson, you know, you can probably the Angels, the the Diamondbacks are not going to be a great club, but you can look at twenty five to twenty seven saves uh, there, and so even if uh, let's say Bednar and Stratton were in a straight 50 to 50, 50 split, you know, that's 12, 10 to 12 saves for both guys. Uh, if, if you did that, if you said 50, 50 and assume that the pirates are just a little worse than what Arizona would be, maybe a lot worse, but still 10 to 12 saves. And they're still valued 10 to 12 saves because you figure they're probably going to have two to three wins working late leverage uh, and whatnot. So you know, there's still value there, but the inside the top 100, as you said, I believe you said he had been, uh, Picked a couple of times. One thirty-three was his match. One thirty-three. Sorry, his man. Yeah, I. You know, that's not 
great, uh, but again, there's still value for a guy that's going to have double digit. He should have double digit saves either way. If he gets traded, if it's a split duty, I still see him with him, him getting double digit saves. So very low end SP, uh, SP, very, very low end CL2, safer option for a CL3. All right. Uh, we have some breaking news during the course of the podcast. Uh, there's been a trade made uh, in, that includes um, Jason Collette uh, making uh, a deal in labor. Uh, the draft is not even a week old. In Ian Khan, hours old. <laughs> yeah, Ian Khan has struck again and made a trade. Uh, so I want to I want you to kind of uh, lay out who you got, who you gave up, why you guys made this deal, and then Chris and I can roast you. Yeah, so to talk a little bit about AL Labor, uh, which again was a six-hour adventure on Friday night. Uh, you know, there was coming out of it, and I'll post. We'll put a link to the uh, the trade, the the uh, results as they were coming out of the uh, coming out of the auction, uh, so people can see that in the rundown if you haven't already seen it on Twitter. Uh, but coming out of it, my team was. Uh, heavy on the offense, uh, which was the opposite of last year. And it wasn't a reaction to that as much as how things worked out early in the auction. So, you know, the fourth guy overall, uh, I purchased Raphael Devers at uh, for $34. I had him valued as 33 but I am not somebody that is married to the cent of my dollar values. No. Uh, and so I got into that. And so I went the extra dollar fine. But again, I get into a, a situation where I like to bucket guys uh, it, it doesn't mean I'll spend the same amount, but it's like I would love to get somebody out of this pool. Well, Rafael Devers and, and Vlad Jr. were two players I had in that pocket. Like, I want one of those guys. Um, and so Vlad comes up as the 10th player. And understand, the previous nine guys had each gone $1 to $3 over what the, the, value, the values that I had down. Like, the previous player, uh, I had Cedric Mullins as a $26 player, dollar player. He went for $29. Semyon, $25, went for $26. Uh, a Rosarena 24, he went for 27. Uh, Devers already mentioned, I had him 33, I paid 34. Pichette was actually, I had him 31, he went 37. Uh, Ramirez 38, 42. And so when when Vlad Jr. went out, you know, the bid started, somebody said 28, because you know, again, we're doing it uh, via the software. So 31, 32, and I just typed 40, just to keep things moving along. And everybody stopped. And I was like, well, crap, that's not what I wanted. Uh, I didn't. I wanted one guy from that bucket. Now I have both guys from that bucket, uh, and the, it didn't force me into okay. I've spent seventy four dollars uh, of my you know one hundred and ninety dollar hitting budget on two big bats, uh, and we've talked about the need for speed, uh, especially in a single league format, uh, and how I really did not want to get in the mile straw mess. Uh, and so then it's like, let's see what the price is going to be on Mondesi. Uh, and let's find that out in short order. And so when Mondesi came back up and the 33rd pick, a uh, 33rd nomination, uh, I had him valued at $28 and I paid 25. And so, but that forced me into the Mondesi decision that I really didn't want to do, uh, but I didn't want to completely avoid it as well, like I did strong. So then, okay, I've got 74, 25. So I've got $99 spent on three guys. Um, and it, you know, factored in elsewhere and where it came into play is as the, I, I knew I wasn't going to play in the top level of, of closers. Uh, you know, I was going to take some other chances, but then some of those prices, because the, the regular closer prices went up, like Liam Hendricks was 20, uh, was 26. Um, Iglesias was 23. I mean, we rarely see closers going over 20 in this league. And then we saw um, at least two uh, go up that high. And so some of the other options came up as well. 
Uh, and so when I came out of the draft with a focus on mid-tier pitching, getting Logan Gilbert at 14, getting uh, Jordan Montgomery at uh, you know, Jordan Montgomery at 12, Nathan Eovaldi at 14, uh, Tarek Skubal at 11. You know, those were the four guys that I had. And then I took some other options. I took Paul Seawald, Matt Brash, who I mentioned. Um, I got auto-picked on Demarcus Evans because at the very, very end of the, of the thing, the time between picks was 15 seconds. And at the time it took me to come over here and enter into software, get the mouse, go up there, is like done. And it got it flipped in. So he Evans was in my reserve queue. Because I wanted, really wanted to take Brent Honeywell there, and but I got Honeywell in the reserves anyhow, so it, it's a wash. It worked. Um, so I started throwing those darts. But obviously, when you when you spend what you do on offense, um, you know my my team was unbalanced. Very happy with where things were offensively, but in the pitching staff needed help. You know, conversely, Ian uh, right out of the gates, uh, six pick. He he's purchased Garrett Cole at thirty seven. I had Cole. I had Cole valued at thirty two. Ian said he had a value of 44, uh, like he was really in on, on pitching. Uh, and so, but that was his plan. But then Robbie Ray came up later and he had Robbie Ray valued uh, as a $27 player. He ended up buying them for $21 because Larry, he and Larry Schechter were going back and forth, back and forth. And Ian's like, I, I don't want to do, I don't want Larry to get this kind of value. Uh, and so he went and did that. He wasn't planning on purchasing uh, all of that, but, he told me, you know, that's what I have. These were my first two. So he's got, you know, uh, $58 on, on Cole and Ray. And he's got all these strikeouts and the ratio should be good. And then the wins, but then it, it impacted how he could pursue offense. And so yesterday we're on a panel uh, at, at the first pitch forums and with Steve Gardner, and we're just talking about you know, how we feel about our teams. And we both talked about, you know, something happened in the auction that caused us to change our plans and that we're rather unbalanced. And uh, so, you know, Ian and I are probably going to talk trade. And like, we hang up and he's already calling me. He's like, so let's, let's talk. Uh, and so like the first thing was, Hey, you know, what about just Vlad for Cole? And I was like, no, you know, last year I had Cole. I missed out on the big, missed out on um, the big bat. And, you know, my, I was chasing offense all year. Uh, and then, you know, later on, he had texted me an idea last night. He goes, what if we, and he called me and like, hey, what if we expand this and look at trying to do a two for two? And he mentions, you know, hey, Jordan Montgomery coming back to me uh, and Luke Voigt coming back to you. And so when I, you know, put the numbers in, it was really scary how then it took both of our teams and made them both very balanced and put us in the projected standings right next to each other with the, it's like all of a sudden it was like, there's more balance in it. And, and the other really, the, the other big part of this that comes into play for me is the pending Palooza. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the top 12 free agents by ADP were completely off the table for us. Most of those guys were hitters. The only two big name uh, pitchers that could potentially come over are Clayton Kershaw uh, and Carlos Rodon. Both of them have red flags. Uh, you don't know uh, what the situation is with, with Clayton Kershaw. Um, Carlos Rodon coming off an amazing year. The White Sox would not even give him a qualifying offer. So there's some risk associated there. But on the on the hitting side, obviously we have a bunch of names in play uh, that could potentially come over. And so that's where that's where I was starting to look at it, saying, okay, we have all of these guys that could potentially come over, you know, Freeman and all these different things. So if I trade this offense now, then when Fabapalooza happens, I'm I'm likely going to have more options on the table to go pursue to get some of that hitting back. 
uh, in my overall team, I still feel like I have a, a almost a starter at every position, which is almost impossible to do in a single league format. But when I go through, uh, you know, second catcher, you're not going to have a starter. And, and, or your catcher is really tough. So I got Zach Collins and Eric uh, Hossie. Hass? Hass? I honestly have never paid attention how his name's uh, Haas. Okay. Uh, so then I have, you know, Vladdy. I did get Rugnet Odor for $6, you know, more than I wanted to pay, but I've talked about them all winter. JP Crawford, Raphael Devers, Taylor Walls at middle infield. There's the other reserve. Um, Mondesi, Benintendi, Joe Adele, Anthony Santander, uh, Willie Calhoun, Tommy Pham, Yanni Diaz. So, like, I've got enough, I have enough bats. Um, and if that also depends on Pham signing with an American League team. If not, I have to refund them. Uh, and on the bench, uh, hitting-wise, I have Brett Phillips I can call up for some speed there. And I also took a late dart on uh, Cody Thomas with Oakland. If they are going to gut their team, Cody Thomas should get an opportunity. And la- lastly, I took Matt uh, Matt Theis because he's first base now, but he's supposed to be the backup catcher. And that gives me the opportunity to, um, if one of those other two catchers don't work out and Theis does, I can move him up. Um, but Ian, like I said, when he came out of it, he looked at it, he goes up. Uh, because he was picking up a lot of late speed when he realized, okay, I don't have the budget to buy this power, so I'm going to start taking a bunch of speed. And he was picking up speed guys, and even the reserves, he went to go grab speed guys. Um, but a lot of his late picks, like Kevin Kiermeyer, and he, he grabbed Margot late, and he went after Adolis Garcia. And so he started grabbing a lot of these different pieces, uh, but he was struggling to, to put some power together. Um, and so it Again, it just really balances us out. It's just so unusual to make a trade 36 hours after a draft's done. But it's I, it's I not it's not unusual for Ian though. Like yeah, I, it is for, it is for me. But that yeah. this trade wouldn't have come together. You know, this it would be unlikely that this would have come together until like two months into a season because nobody makes something of this caliber before a season even starts. But this helps us both undo mistakes that we made in the auction. I mean, I did not want to buy. It wasn't the price of Vlad, and it wasn't that I was price enforcing. I just looked at, you know, this is I had him right at forty dollar value, never expecting him to go there. Uh, but if I if I would have typed in thirty eight, maybe he goes thirty nine. I'm I, I don't have to worry about this. But it absolutely changed the way I did the rest of my uh, auction build there. And Ian's doing the same thing with Robbie Ray, and Robbie Ray was the thirtieth pick. So I mean, both of us thirty picks in, not even three trips around the room. Had, com- had to completely change the way we were going to do things because of something that came up in the auction, which is what happens in auction. Uh, and Justin, I think you mentioned earlier about, you know, having the flexibility, you know, you should be prepared if something happens. And, you know, in this case, we weren't taking advantage of anything. It was just that we saw something we're like, maybe we could do it this way uh, and adjust. It's not like I'm unhappy with my team, but I recognize that it's unbalanced uh, and for me to fix it, it's going to have to be either via the trade. It's really tough to fix starting to you know, pursue strikeouts because, again, in labor, you can't stream guys as much because if you draft them, they're on your team unless they get injured or they're demoted. Uh, and this is the single league format. The, the mixed league is it's not applicable to mixed league. They can stream these guys. We can't. So I've got to keep these guys in my active lineup unless they get hurt or demoted to the minors. I have to cut them to replace them. Uh, and so with these, with the pitching stuff, that's where it gets really tough. I can't just say, oh, you know, Gilbert's got a bad matchup this week. I'm going to put in this guy. Nope, he's got to stay in and eat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's but if you look at the the NL labor results tonight, that's why you're going to see Herman Marquez go for such a low number because you got to eat those starts that he's in course. Uh, and he's really tough to he's really tough in that capacity uh, with that. So at the end of the day, my team's now more balanced uh, that I've traded 
uh, Vlad Jr. and Jordan Montgomery for Garrett Cole uh, and Luke Voigt. The Yankee hater in me feels disgusting. Uh, but I traded one Yankee to get two. Uh, you know, it is what it is. But this is this is a more balanced team, and it puts me in a better place to start the season to approach Fabapalooza uh, with looking at what's likely going to be you know, two free agent hitters for every free agent pitcher that comes across for us to bid on uh, for me to retool the team before the season actually starts. All right. Well, um, long rant. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't know if there's anything else that needs to be said uh, on that rant, but uh, I want to. We have a few Twitter questions. I know Jason's got to get out of here in a few minutes, um, so I just wanted to ask uh, if I can find the thread. Um, uh, go and ask. Chris I know one of them. Uh, go ahead. Which one do you know? What inspired Taurus takes? There you go. That was one of the questions. That's all I came up. What inspired mm -hmm. you to do that? So uh, my last job, I worked at a, uh, at a local college here in the counseling center. And it was absurd because they would pay us to come work over the summer, even though there were like no students on campus. So in my line of work, there's really, if you're not seeing students, there's really not much you can do. So we pretty much spent the entire summer, uh, me, my boss, and uh, one of my coworkers prepping for fantasy football drafts. And, uh, you know, I would always come out with like these hot takes like, oh, Jarek McKinnon's going to be the RB1 or whatever. Uh, so my boss, it's, it got to a point where I'd walk in and the first thing he would say to me in the morning is, hey, you got any tourist takes? And uh, so that that was it. And I made the Twitter account and I showed it to them and, you know, they laughed at me. But me now, bitches, sleep in the bus. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, you know what? I'm going to end with that right there. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining <laughs> yeah. us. Uh, uh, it was an absolute pleasure. It's great to have you on. Remind everybody where you can reach on social media so they can get those Torres takes. Yeah, just at Torres takes uh, on Twitter. Uh, definitely go in. Yeah, definitely go and follow him uh, because uh, those those two-minute videos are, are well worth uh, your time. Uh, you should put an alert on his account. So every time he tweets, get a Torres take, oh, wow. right? There you go. Uh, and I, I don't do that for everybody. So, uh, Jason, what are you working on? Where have you reached? So I'm working on writing up my AL labor, uh, recap, which is going to include, uh, uh, you know, all the numbers and, and such behind everything that I just ran through about the actual draft itself and then the trade, uh, and then some overall thoughts in the league, because, uh, there were some interesting trends uh, that were going there. If you're in an AL league, uh, really pay attention to the outfield. It gets thin in a hurry uh, with that. So writing that up uh, and have the um, hosting a first pitch panel in about 20 minutes uh, to go over in season, uh, in season stuff. Uh, so um, I get the pleasure of moderating a panel with Jock Thompson, Rob Silver and Dave Potts. Uh, so they, I guess they figured the guy who's never won all those contests can talk to the guys who have, uh, yeah. so that'll be fun. And um that's it. I think yeah. I'm moderating the uh, the tout the uh, one of the tout drafts is this weekend. This uh, not this weekend. This Tuesday uh, mix. What's there's some tout thing on Tuesday night, and I'm moderating the Zoom room. That's open to is everybody. That, so if y'all want to come in, maybe it's head to head. I don't know. I just volunteer. No, I, I, it's it's, 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 it's got to be mixed draft. Yeah, mixed draft. That's Tuesday night. I'm doing that. Uh, I think it starts oh, at eight. Uh, at least I hope it does because I have a education town education meeting until eight o'clock. So I'll just jump from one Zoom to the next. Uh, but if you want to come hang out in there, uh, come hang out on Tuesday night. Yeah, I'll definitely try to swing in there uh, for a little bit uh, on that. Um, you can reach me on Twitter at Jason Mason FWFB. 
um, writing daily, uh, pretty much over at Fangraphs. Uh, this week is all ranks. I'm updating all of my ranks. I've already dropped first and catcher, and I think second base. Um, and then uh, mo- uh, Monday will be shortstop. Tuesday will be third base. Wednesday outfield, and then Thursday I think starting pitcher. So, uh, so definitely check that over there. You can hear me on the Friends of Fantasy Benefits podcast and TGFBI podcast. As well, uh, that will wrap us up for this episode. Uh, For Chris, Jason, myself, thank you for listening. A fantastic baseball season.